Hi everyone, Alex here. I just wanted to quickly address something before our second off-season episode of Raise the Roof. I'm recording this on Tuesday for those that don't know what happened on Tuesday with the Rays. It was quite a lot between Charlie Morton, some news about Wander Franco out of the Dominican Winter League, and obviously the news surrounding Randy Rosarena in Mexico. We recorded this on Saturday, so we recorded this well before any of this stuff happened. We will be having a new episode out this week where we will talk more in-depth about this stuff with a special guest, so stay tuned about that, but I just wanted to quickly address that. Unfortunately, we didn't address any of this stuff, so uh, all this information that we talked about here was 100% before the fact of what was going on today uh, in the world of the Tampa Bay Rays. So please enjoy the second off-season episode of Raise the Roof and Raise Up. It's time to raise the roof for our second off-season podcast, I think, right, Gibby? Are we on second one? I, I think. I, second or third. Second or third, yeah, it's the off-season. You start, you start losing track of time. Uh, so, uh, Evan is not here with us, just me and Gibby today, but we do have a very special guest, uh, co-host of the Locked on Rays podcast, which I'm sure that a bunch of you um, who listen to us also listen um, to them. Uh, Kevin Weiss. Uh, Kevin, how are you doing? Um, how's everything going? Doing great. Uh, just, um, I, I really can't wait for what could be uh, maybe some normalcy with the 2021 baseball season. Uh, fans can go back in the stands, still waiting on if we're going to get 162, some of the rules changes. So, um, you know, looking forward to that. But of course, there's, I, I almost enjoy the hot stove just as much, really. All the trades and transactions and everything. I mean, that's it's almost like a sport within a sport, and I know it's quiet right now, but I'm sure we'll start to see some some news trickle in throughout the the entirety of the off season and um, college football, other sports going on. So I'm I'm kind of a happy camper right now. Uh, could you tell people a little bit more about um, about yourself? Uh, what's going on with the Locked On Race podcast? How you get involved in that? Before we're gonna go into right, things? yeah. Gr- Great question. Um, so Ulysses and I, we go way back. We went to the University of South Florida together, uh, had a lot of classes, same friend group, all that sort of stuff. And we bonded over, uh, over the Tampa Bay Rays. And um, at USF, I was involved in their student radio station, got into broadcasting that way, and um, worked in, in radio throughout college and then a couple years out of college. And the opportunity for the Locked on Rays podcast, I had noticed um, because I had listened to some of their other podcasts uh, in other sports beforehand that they did not have a Locked on Rays host. So really, it was just kind of a cold call, cold email to uh, David Locke, who is the CEO of the company and started the company. He's the play-by-play broadcaster for the Utah Jazz. And then, of course, kind of went through an interview process, sending in resume, demo tapes, all that sort of stuff. And um, that's kind of how how that worked out. Where uh, after I graduated from USF, I worked in radio in Oklahoma and in Virginia and in well, Florida too, um, and then kind of reconnected with Ulysses back in Tampa uh, after I'd been away for a couple of years. And we had been talking. Well, it'd be so cool to do a podcast together and, and talk about the Rays. And he was he's been a lifetime Rays fan. So it really just kind of worked out the opportunity where I, I sort of had my broadcasting media background and he had his long-term Rays fandom background and we, we kind of had that natural chemistry too. 
So it, it, it was sort of the perfect storm, if you will, of being able to get the podcast going. And now we've been going strong since, I want to say June of 2019. So going on a year and a half now. Um, and we, we record five days a week. Uh, there's going to be a time, I think, maybe in the next month or so where we taper back to three days a week because of the, the off season and everything. But for the most part, we're, we're pretty much every day. And, and recently we launched a, a Patreon page too, where we, we post some weekend content outside of the Locked on Rays podcast. So that, that's really how it's formed. And the company is growing. They're, they're, they're adding podcasts left and right. And it's, it's kind of a good, good situation where we're settled in. We know the routine and um, it's, it's definitely fun to do. And, and it definitely keeps you on your toes on, on knowing the, the ins and outs of, of what's, what's happening with the Tampa Bay Rays and baseball in general. And, and, and I'm sure we'll get a lot more into talking about uh, your, your fandom and, and everything with that, uh, with the Rays. So quickly, just wanted to get into some Rays stuff to start. Then um, wanted to go a little bit more generic, uh, talk about the, the Hall of Fame ballot that's coming out or that's been out. Um, and I'm sure that's going to take a lot of the headlines along with what's going on with free agency. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But quickly going over what's been going on with the Rays, I know essentially a couple of guys got DFA'd, players got selected, um, their contracts got selected to keep them up on the 40-man roster. Uh, from what I see here, they, um, uh, they DFA'd uh, Hunter Renfro, who um, didn't necessarily have the year that they wanted and did have some uh, postseason uh, highlights, but overall wasn't uh, as good as I think they expected him to be uh, in that trade from San Diego. And then also first baseman Brian O'Grady. And then the three players whom they their, their contacts were selected, shortstop Taylor Walls, center fielder Josh Lowe. The last guy is right-handed pitcher Drew St- uh, Strotman from the Charlotte Stone Crabs. Gibby, how are you feeling about um, the moves that they made? You know, nothing, I don't think, too serious right now. I think uh, the one thing that really stood out to me was Hunter Renfro getting DFA'd. I mean, I kind of understand that, you know, he's not, he has power, but he's not really getting on base that much. He's not hitting too many dingers. Um, so I kind of understand that that mentality there, what, what they're doing with him. But um, other than that, I, I think I think they'll make more moves later, close to the spring. But I'm excited to see who else. I'm just excited to see what this new roster is going to look like next season and how how we can adjust to our weaknesses that we're showing at the end of the 2020 season. But other than that, I think we're, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, Kevin, how do you feel about the moves that they made here? Yeah, it's interesting. I will say uh, Drew Strotman, I had never heard of him beforehand. So that one kind of surprised me there. As I understand, he had a pretty good instructional league, and I think he was coming back from Tommy John surgery, so maybe he shows increased velocity. He's kinda, he might be sort of the, the secret weapon that the Rays didn't want to let go, that you know the, the, the Rays fandom public out there may not really know of him yet, but mm. if they're – if they're so gung ho to add this guy instead of, cause there were some other names that they could have added like Paul Campbell. And there were some other pitchers out there too, that um, could have been candidates for the 40 man. Then I, I'm totally, I'm sure they, they know more about Drew Strotman and why he deserves to be on the 40 man than, than we'll ever know for sure. So I, I'd imagine that he's probably going to bounce back strongly from Tommy John and, and he's showing good stuff there. Hunter Renfro, I, I kind of – I didn't know if it was going to be a DFA thing. I, I definitely thought they were going to non-tender him if it got to that point because there is no way that I think the Rays were going to pay him $4 million, up to upwards of $4 million, which 
um, is probably what he would or, or will get in arbitration if it came to that. And the Rangers have a glut of outfielders too. Um, I don't think they necessarily expected Randy Rosarina to take off like he did. And I think that's kind of the situation with Brian O'Grady too. He's first base outfield type. And I, I kind of feel more bad for, for Brian O'Grady because he never really got a legitimate shot. Maybe they view him as a quad A player. Maybe that's, that's what he is, which is fine. You can make a living doing that. Um, but you, you have to wonder if this was a 162 game season where over the course you're naturally going to have outfielders and players get hurt, get injured. And who knows, Brian O'Grady's tearing it up at Durham. Maybe this is a situation, okay, Brian, here's your opportunity. Let's see what you can do with a couple of weeks and see if you can sort of build a resume for yourself and have some staying power as opposed to where uh, he didn't really get much of any opportunity and the Rays went out and, and traded for Brett Phillips and on and out, on from there. So that was kind of, uh, I, sort of felt, I, I sort of feel bad for Brian O'Grady. And then with Renfro, it's one of those things, yeah, he's got power and he provides really good defense in right field, but the strikeout rate and you're, you're not, the Rays just aren't going to pay $4 million to a guy that's going to be a platoon guy as it is and has really just had so much swing and miss. And that's something that I think the Rays are going to and have to address this offseason and getting rid of some of that swing and miss because this is one of the most, I mean, the team led the league in strikeouts in the postseason. Uh, that was exasperated even more so. I mean, teams, we did an episode on the Locked on Rays podcast about strikeout rates and World Series winners. And the, the way the Rays strike out, uh, there was no way that they were going to win a World Series. And I think Hunter Renfro, he's kind of, um, he's part of that, that, um, you know, you wish you would have gotten more out of him considering that trade where Tommy Pham and, and Jake Cronenworth are doing mm-hmm. so well in San Diego, respectively. So you, you hope that Xavier Edwards really, really becomes something, um, you know, four or five years from now and, and really kind of lives up to that building, uh, billing of the, of uh, one of the, the better prospects within the, the farm system. So it made sense that, you know, there, there's higher upside there with Josh Lowe and, and there's a lot of positive things that are being spoken about with him. Taylor Walls too, it, it was his time. He's, he's one of those guys that I think he could be, you know, we, we talk a lot about Willie Adamas. We talk a lot about Wander Franco. We talk a, a lot about Vidal Brujan, but uh, Taylor Walls may be, he could really be sneaky. I mean, he's, he's ranked as the best defensive infielder in the system has a great arm switch hitter uh I, I, he'll never be uh, a Francisco Lindor with the bat but he's a guy that I think can get on base and and do enough for you uh I don't think he's gonna uh he might get an opportunity there too but again there's so much depth uh on the come up in, in the middle infield spot but it's gonna be really interesting to see like like you mentioned Gibby sort of how this is just the start. There's going to be a lot more moves going on from here. And I, I, this is definitely not the end of it. I think there's going to be a lot more moving and shaking. I mean, the Rays still haven't addressed their catcher situation. I don't think they've fully addressed how they're going to go about with their rotation next year in Charlie Morton. Are they going to bring him back? So there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Um, but I think, you know, it, it was not surprising in the least to see Josh Lowe and, and Taylor Walls added, but I was a little bit shocked that, that they added Drew Strotman because I had never heard of him before. So uh, it's kind of interesting and fun from that perspective too. Mm. Uh, and, and also, I guess bef- um, I wanted to ask before we got into the Hall of Fame stuff, uh, as the free agent market is now starting to open up, players are, you know, able to start, um, you know, looking at what players they want to add uh, where do both of you see the needs um, or like what needs do you see 
um, uh, the Rays having this offseason? What things do you see them trying to address? And what players do you think are really going to stand out as players that um, could really make a difference on this team if they were to sign them moving forward? I think you would need I don't I don't know who's this gonna who this is gonna be. I don't have a specific name, but you definitely need I think like what um what Kevin said. You need to address the catcher situation. I believe you need a better power hitter in the in the catcher spot. I because like once you get to the bottom of that lineup, we we experienced it. It's just it just goes slow, and you know we got we got guys at the top of the lineup that get on base, and then it's just it just after that. And like the, that nine hole that the, that Mike Zanino was usually batting in, it's just it's just a major de- de- detriment to our team. So I think, even though Mike Zanino I think is a really good catcher, um, we just need that guy who's going to also bring power to the bat. Even though Mike Zanino does sometimes, but it's really hit or miss with him. He's constant uh, 200 hitter, um, even below that actually. So you know I think that's one place we need to address. I also think we need to give, we need to start uh, using some of our farm guys, you know, guys that are, are younger guys, you know, I'm excited to see that in the next few years, uh, all, all these young guns we have who are just going to make this team so much more interesting. Um, but, but then like you, like we all say, it's like, we got all these other guys that they're all so good and we like them, but you know, it's kind of a tough life of a race, man. You know, you, you, you win some, you lose some. So I, my my main takeaway is just get get someone who can hit and is a catcher. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's it's funny addressing the the starting pitching. Maybe the the Rays think that Brent Honeywell is ready and able to take that next step, and and they're not going to match Charlie Morton and his agents' asking price, especially when you have teams out there like the Mets and other teams that are really willing to spin. I mean, if we see. Drew Smiley getting $11 million and we see Robbie Ray getting $8 million. You would think Charlie Morton could command $15, $16 million at the very least, especially on a one-year deal, but maybe he he's willing to take really, he's, he's willing to, I guess, sell himself short just to stay in the Tampa Bay area because he has the home and Braden team and everything like that. And who knows, maybe they, they're, they're Brendan McKay. He's, he's another guy, although I think, I, I don't know if he's going to be totally ready with his, his uh, surgery that he's going through and some of the, the ongoing troubles. I mean, the larger question with, you know, we talk about the, the next guys on the come up for the, the rotation and pitching is Brendan McKay, when he was called up last year, or I guess in 2019, two seasons ago now, um, he, he lacked an out pitch. He, he kind of struggled at the majors. He didn't have that, that getaway pitch when he got up to two strikes and the fastball didn't play as well as it did in the minor league. So there's a, there's a couple of things that I think McKay definitely has to work on going forward to live up to that, that prospect billing. But I, I think again, the, the catching situation that has to be alleviated as of right now, the Rays only have one catcher on their 40 man. And he's a guy who hasn't played above single a ball and that's Ronaldo Hernandez. And maybe they, they, they like what they've seen from him at the alternate training site and seeing his development and, and blocking pitches and calling games and throwing runners out and things of that sort. But if I had to guess, I think they are going to try to bring Zanino back, but at a much, much discounted price mm-hmm. and see if you can also go out and maybe sign for or trade for a veteran type. Maybe uh, I've talked about Kurt Suzuki, possibly. I'd like to see somebody in there that doesn't strike out. That Mike Zanino was basically a pitcher, a pitcher with some power. That's what he was, and that's what he's been with the race he's been 
as my co-host would say, a rally killer. And, and you know when he comes up to, to bat, either in that eighth spot or ninth spot, you, weren't getting, you were not going to get much out of, in a, uh, out of him at all, and, and oftentimes a strikeout. So I would like to see them, you know, even – I know it, it, it's probably not a, a great idea because he's not great defensively, and the Rays definitely and really teams in general want to focus more on the defensive angle when it comes to catchers. But Wilson Ramos can still hit. But um, – and James McCann is out there. There's some guys out there that, again, haven't been signed yet, and I think that you could throw a flyer on them. The Rays have made mistake after mistake and not keeping a catcher that showed that they can hit uh, and, and not – reaching to their price. Travis Darno, for example. This this team could have won the World Series if, if they just would have paid Tommy Pham and uh, and Travis Darno and, and not traded Jay Cronin, where they really, quite frankly, could have been that easy, hindsight being 2020. But I'd like to see them get a guy that doesn't – give give me a catcher that can hit 240. That's all I'm asking for. And I think Kurt Suzuki, a guy who's won a ring, who's – very, very experienced. He rarely ha- – he's got one of the lowest strikeout rates, not not just among catchers, but among players in general. So I'd like to see something of that sort. I don't mind bringing back Zanino, especially what he provides defensively, but I don't necessarily want to see him if uh, if we have a 162-game season. I don't necessarily want to see him rolled out there for 120, 130 games. So that's where I like a, you know that a secondary veteran where they're kind of 1A, 1B as far as starters, and then you let – uh, Ronaldo Hernandez grow from that um, but it barely you know not to to burst Rays fans bubble but this could be a situation where the Rays are just like no we're gonna bring back Mike Zanino for half of what uh, he would have been owed if we had picked up his option and we're gonna bring back uh, Kevin Smith with a minor league deal and an invite to spring camp and that's gonna be our catcher situation so you could see that as well. Mm. But with so many guys on the market and this kind of market that kind of benefits the Rays, do you think, do you think they're going to make moves? Do you, do you, do you not think they're going to make moves? Like, I, like, I sure hope so. I mean, they, they've already, yeah. they're, they're unloading salary left and right. And I don't think they're done with that either. I think there's going to be a lot of non-tender candidates. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but like even a guy like G-Man Choi could be a non-tender candidate if he's going to make two million dollars the race can just go there and say well uh we will just stick Nate low in this spot and pay him 500 grand and go on our merry way and and move on from there so i think there's a situation if there's a year to make moves and i know we can talk about the financial impacts and everything like that this is the year where you can get so many guys or a couple guys at at a very discounted price and, mm-hmm. and i think the fact that nobody's signed to this point i think speaks to that a little bit and some of these guys are still out on the market I think uh, speaks to that as well so I don't know if it's going to happen I, I hope you've got to sign a couple guys you got to you got to have you got to have catchers right mm-hmm. you, you've got to sign some guys so I there's going to be moves made it's just look they're, they're not going to go out and, and do a blockbuster thing yeah. where they're going to sign JT Riamuto or something like that that's just never going to happen but mm-hmm. James McCann two years 14 million dollars 12 million dollars something along those lines I I don't see how that or, or a one-year flyer deal give a guy five six million dollars and and go with that I mean you've already saved that money by pretty much you know DFAing uh or yeah DFAing uh, Hunter Renfro there so I think the if I want to look at it in a positive lens is they're they're dumping off this money to make better additions in free agency, but time will only tell with that for sure. Yeah, I was so I wanted to throw out a name that I thought was pretty interesting because I was surprised when the move was made. So the Orioles 
for some random reason, decided to DFA Renato Nunez, who was their best hitter in terms of hitting home runs over the last two seasons. I don't know why they decided to DFA him. But honestly, if the Rays could pick him up as a – I know that they're really, really cluttered and crowded. But if they could pick him up as a DH option, like he would – I think he would fit perfect in there. And I don't think that many people are going to be – going hard after him so you could pay him like you could get him for a couple mil for a couple years like say like I would say anywhere between three to six mil for a couple years and and kind of work with that I I I'm a hundred percent with the the catcher situation I know that we um in, in previous episodes we uh can continually get pissed off at the fact that um they did not decide to go after Darno and keep him because uh, it just doesn't make any sense, especially what he did with the Braves um, last year, or I mean this year. Uh, so, I, I I'm I mean it'll be interesting. I think uh, contracts are going to be down in terms of uh, price, obviously, with everything that's going on. And I think they could get people, but I think that Renato Nunez is someone who I was really surprised that the Orioles DFA'd him. And I think that if the Rays were to pick him up, um, kind of under the radar, I think he could really help out the team. Yeah, it would be interesting because there's going to be. I think there's got to be a boiling point with the next CBA because what you're seeing now with baseball is there's so many guys out there. It's the have and the have nots. It's you're either making Garrett Cole type of money or you're basically a minimum earning player. Like teams, and I don't, I'm sure the pandemic has exasperated this. They do not want to pay those Renato Nunez types. They don't, they don't want to pay those mid-tier guys when they can just say well we can save a buck here and pretty much just call up a young guy and, and see what we can get from it because we don't want to we don't want to pay brad hand 10 million dollars that that's mm-hmm. what it's becoming now yeah. which really i think is a shame and you know this happened uh last year with oh my gosh who was the guy that the orioles dfa the shortstop that the marlins picked up um oh jonathan vr yeah, that was another DFA guy. And, like, the Rays have done this before. They, they've DFA'd C.J. Crone. They've DFA'd Corey Dickerson after great years. And it's one of those things. Teams do not want to pay guys anymore. And I think I, I do, in theory, like the idea of trying to add a Renato Nunez because it would be great to have his power. But the Rays are one of those teams. And I think also the added benefit of he has experience in the American League East. I mm-hmm. think that goes – hey, he knows what it – takes to, to face the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Blue Jays and, and things of that sort and, and playing in Camden Yards and he, he's, he's familiar with the ballparks and the teams um, the Rays if they're if they're gonna DFA Hunter Renfro I don't think they would DFA Hunter Renfro to bring in Renato Nunez they would probably just assume think well we we think Renfro could ride this out uh, and we, we, we don't think he's as bad as what he showed we just don't want to pay a, a I guess a one track pony, a power hitter, $4 million. And I guess that's, if you want to look at it, that's sort of what Renato Nunez is because again, I think the, the walk rates are pretty low for him. His strikeout rates are pretty high. He provides a lot of pop for sure. I don't know what he provides uh, defensively. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, unless you're really top of your game, the, the Rays aren't paying you. They're, they're not going to give a, a multi-year deal to you but I think there will be a team for sure that that gives Renato a chance for sure it's just a shame that you know he was good for Baltimore why not keep him you're trying to do this rebuild and he's young he's he's got a skill that can be utilized and it's just becoming a an interesting time in baseball and 
I've, I've talked before about a salary cap and a salary floor and just making these teams spin to a certain threshold. And I'm sure that's a kind of a debate for another time, but there's going to be a lot of upset free agents and a lot of upset agents and a lot of, I think the union's really going to be upset when they find out these guys aren't going to get anything. There's not, there's just a lot of guys that are going to be waiting for that deal. And it's just never going to come good players. Sometimes maybe the occasional all-star and they just, Nope, we, because you're not a six, seven, if you're not a six or seven more player, we're not paying you. Well, we can pretty much just call up a prospect on our 40 man and go from there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to kind of see what's going to happen as, as free agency goes on. Uh, before we, um, uh, I guess, uh, go a little bit more into talking uh, more specifically about um, uh, uh, what uh, Kevin's story is in terms of race fandom and all of that stuff, I wanted to get into stuff about the Hall of Fame uh, ballot because it just came out recently. Um, it's really, really interesting this year because it doesn't seem like there's really, at least in my opinion, like surefire Hall of Famers on this list. I know last year, I know Jeter was the guy um, and there were, I know Larry Walker was also in that group, but this year it doesn't seem like that, which is crazy because Clemens and Bonds are both on the ballot. And if, if, if PEDs were not in the, were not in the discussion, then there would be, you know, there'd be no question that they would be hall of famers. But I was curious um, uh, for both of you, if you've checked out the ballot yet um, with the guys that are currently on it, and the and the um, I guess in the first timers, so some some names of note are um, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, and Tory Hunter are kind of those um, uh, the top three in that list. Uh, who do you think, or who would you vote for in this year's uh, Hall of Fame class? Well, I'm looking at it right now, and I saw Sammy Sosa's on there, and I love Sammy Sosa, so I'd love to see Sammy Sosa go. I mean, yeah, but also like Broids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but like. Apparently, at the top of this list, it says that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds have a good chance of getting in as well, even with the PEDs. That is true. Which I think, I think the PEDs just, I think there's a lot of blame to go on both sides, teams, players, the MLB itself. I think there's just a lot of blame to be thrown around there. So there, there, there's this, it's, it's a complicated thing. I'm sure they'll they'll figure that out but I, I i'm a big sammy sosa guy so look i was too but the the steroid and the performance enhancing drug issue is a tough one for me to navigate and i still yeah. don't know if i'm completely made up my mind here's here's my thinking with we talk about the two guys roger clemens and barry bonds the if there were steroid guys that would be slam dunks quote unquote to be in the hall of fame based on their performance um and they might very well get in considering they got basically 61% of the vote this past year. Uh, and you need 75% to get in. They're on their ninth year of the ballot and 10 years max. So the way I'm, I'm going about with the steroid guys, I'm not voting for them this year, but I'm going to consider it next year. Same thing for Sammy Sosa. I wouldn't vote for him this year in his, I guess it's his ninth year on the ballot and he's not going to get in because he only had, uh, 14% uh, in, in 2020. So that's how, that's kind of my standpoint with those guys. Same thing with Manny Ramirez too. He's in his fifth year. I'm not going to consider him until 10th year. Right now, this is who I would have voted for. Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, uh, Bobby Abreu, Jeff Kent, and Todd Helton. So I'm not voting for any of the 
uh, steroid guys, the guys who have been alleged to or have been caught. Moreover, I'm not voting for any of the newcomers on the ballot. I don't think any of these guys are Hall of Famers. I don't think, I think Mark Burley and Tim Hudson, great, really good careers. Hall of very good, Hall of excellent, but Hall of Fame. I don't think so. I'm not so sure of that. I could, you can vote up for, uh, you can vote for up to 10 people. So I would theoretically have four more spots and maybe throw them a bone just to keep them on the ballot and maybe consider and, and think about them again. But other than that, none of those other names, nope. That's how my ballot shakes out. If you guys have questions about it, um, I think Schilling's definitely going to get in. He, he might be the only guy that gets in this year, considering he got 70% of the vote. I think uh, a guy who I think is really being underlooked is, is Billy Wagner. You, you compare yeah, his career. I would, I would love to, to see Billy Wagner. Yeah, yeah. I, I think too many we, – we've gotten to a point where we spend too much focus looking at war wins above replacement. Like, oh, this guy doesn't have a certain war. We can't consider him for the Hall of Fame. There hasn't been a good mechanism to transfer war wins above replacement and some of those metrics to relievers and their impact. But on the surface, his number, his career is very comparable to Lee Smith. And you talk about the Hall of Fame and telling a story, and his numbers speak for themselves. The 422 saves, the, the career ERA, the whip, the strikeouts. In fact, I think he's got one of the greatest, if not the, the highest strikeout rate among all pitchers who have pitched at least 800 innings. Also, he's a 5'10 lefty that threw gas through 98-99. That's a rarity in baseball. You don't see many lefty closers as it is, let alone a guy that's 5'10". Yeah. And he went out, I think, in one of the best ways possible. His last year was a dynamite year. He was an all-star his final year of baseball at 38 years old. It might have been one of his the, the best years of his career when you consider ERA, strikeouts, whip, everything like that. I mean, you look at those numbers like, wow. And he retired after that. I know I think he, he had some maybe injury troubles at the end there, but – that, that final year, it's, he wasn't, and this is a, an argument I had with uh, my co-host on, on the podcast, because he voted for Andrew Jones, and Andrew Jones, his numbers definitely hold up, for sure, it's only his fourth year on the ballot, I still want some more time to think about him, uh, I mean, the, the gold gloves, and the career home runs, and, and things like that, the batting average is a little bit low, but you look at Andrew Jones, and the way I look at him, I see a guy that it, the last six, seven years of his career, he was garbage. He was just stealing paychecks. So I, I'm a little bit – it's tough for me on Andrew Jones. I'd probably vote for him eventually at some point, just not this year. Also, um, you, you probably have a question about Scott Rowland, why I wouldn't vote for him. I'm still – I'm conflicted on Scott Rowland. I, I, when I watched him play in – Growing up in Southern Indiana, in addition to Cubs games, there were a lot of Cincinnati Reds games. And I know it was towards the later end of his career playing with the Reds. But when, when I hear the name Scott Rowland, I never thought Hall of Fame slam dunk. I, just, I thought, yeah, good player, really good player, compiler, uh, but never saw a ton of power from the third base position. He's also, that's kind of, that, that third base to be in the Hall of Fame, it's sort of the holy grail when you're talking about Mike Schmidt and you're talking about Brooks Robinson and Chipper Jones and Adrian Beltre. And, you know, I, I've talked about it on the podcast, but we don't consider, at least I don't consider, my co-host doesn't consider Evan Longoria to be a Hall of Famer. Like we don't, we're not, it's not even a discussion when we talk about it on the podcast. And his numbers aren't that far off from Scott Rowland, Longo to, to Rowland. And if I'm not even willing to consider Longo at all right now, 
then I, I'm still having a little bit of trouble with Scott Rowland. I think he was just really good for a really long time. Was he ever the, like the best at his position where everything, oh, Scott Rowland's on TV. Got to watch some Scott Rowland. Like it, that, that's a tough thing too. Uh, so my ballot going from my background as a, uh, as a Phillies fan, growing up as a Phillies fan, now as a Rays fan, uh, Bobby Brayu was my favorite player growing up. There is no doubt in my mind that he should be a Hall of Famer. Um, great defender, great offensive player. Love him to death. Uh, on that same vein, unfortunately, because I know Shane Victorino is also on the ballot, he just didn't play for long enough. And my, or he didn't play for long enough. He didn't have enough at bats, that kind of stuff. It's nice to see him on there, but I know he's not going to get in. Love Torrey Hunter. Um, really, really great defensive player. Um, I would vote for him uh, in, I, at, at least in my opinion. I think that um, he deserves some consideration. I would vote for him. Um, definitely Todd Helton. Billy Wagner, uh, 100% yes. And I like Schilling's weird. I think I, I think the reason why is because of the fact of you consider all of the stuff that's happened post career, and I'm sure that's the reason why he's been held back all these years. Right. In in terms of stats, like I'm just trying. Like I mean, just just looking. At, I mean, right now I'm just looking at wins loss ERA ERA plus. Um, his ERA plus was 127. WHIP was good. He had over 3,000 strikeouts. So he, I mean, he, he had a good career. I'm just – I don't know. In my opinion, I'm just on the fence either way. Like, like I'd be fine if he was in. It's just like if I was a Hall of Fame, I'd be like, literally, we're going to give you a paper, say what's on the paper, and then don't say anything else, and then we're done. Like, like thank God it's going to be virtual this year, I hope, because, like, right. if it was in person, oh, boy, it would be uh, – it would be – it'd be a train yeah. wreck, to say the least. <laughs> Here's a couple of things, and I – I, I do think so. Stilling again, I, I would probably not vote for him if it was his first couple years. I think ninth year, he's already gotten seventy percent of the vote. I think this is the year he gets over the hump. But he, he's reached a couple benchmarks. Okay, he's reached the two hundred win plateau. He's he's had over three thousand strikeouts, three time World Series winner, six time All Star MVP of a World Series. He he definitely has a a story when it comes to the hall of fame, the bloody sock, everything like that. Um, I think, I mean, he, here's how I look at, at it. You, you can't vote for, uh, and you, you haven't, but if there's somebody who votes for Mark Burley or Tim Hudson and doesn't vote for Kurt Schilling, I think that is totally unfair and, and wrong because Kurt Schilling had, I don't want to say significantly, but it's not even close that he's had a better career than those guys and like you alluded to his his comments and his persona and the things he says uh there is something called the integrity character clause uh that is in the hall of fame how often it's used i don't know like it, can we really apply that if if we're going to vote in bonds and clemens and all these guys who use steroids or highly accused and definitely did steroids and then how far do we take this character clause do we leave do we do we leave roy halliday out because he was addicted to oxycontin what about Derek jeter he he was a womanizer i don't want to say womanizer but he got around he had a reputation about town in tampa uh pedro martinez you know he tackled don zimmer to the ground a lot of the, some of these guys have domestic abuse issues that are being considered or have been voted in ty cobbs in the hall of fame like but i don't think that i i think it's the excuse that people are giving to not vote for him, I think it's a lot of times is political, which is fine. You can, if you don't want to vote for him because of that, but I, I think 
that people are leaning too much on the character integrity clause with Schilling. And then if you go out and vote for Gary Sheffield and Sammy Sosa and all these guys, I, I don't think that's that's necessarily fair either. But if, if, if that's your thing, if you're saying, no, I really, I want a guy who has great character. That's who, that's all I want in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's going to be pretty slim pickings or more slim pickings, but then, okay, if you're not going to vote for Schilling, you better not vote for Bonds. You better not vote for Clemens. You better not vote for some of these other guys on the list. Like, I think even Omar Vizquel had some um, domestic violence issues uh, and, and things of that sort. So it's definitely um, something that has been discussed for, for many a times. I think this is the year, though, that that he gets in. And, like, I, I think it's, it's a couple of reasons why it took so long for him to get in because the numbers are kind of right on the border there, and there's a couple of things that maybe put him over. Um, but I think nine years on the ballot, it's like, okay, let's get him in. And like you said, Alex, just some, give him the piece of paper. All right, here's your certificate. Move mm-hmm. along. No words. Mm-hmm. Shut up. You got your, you got your honor and, and go about your merry day and, and yeah, just I go about it, it like be, that too. I think it would be a robbery not to give it to Kurt at this point. I mean, like, I mean, you can get on about a person's personality and like what they say, but like, if you look at the, just look at the stats and like what he's done, it's, it's all there. I mean, he, he's got it all. So definitely think if he didn't get in, it'd be just a robbery. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think by now I think that's a that's a good assumption of it. Yeah. So uh so yeah, we'll see what happens with the with the Hall of Fame stuff. I know Ryan Thibodeau, not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter, um, tracks all the Hall of Fame ballots. So if you want to follow him there, which I will be following him because that's kind of one of my one of my favorite annual pastimes is to watch to see who 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 votes for who as things go. You can follow him there. But I was curious, can you talk a little bit more about how the Rays became a thing for you? Yeah, great question. So um, growing up, I always sort of followed the Rays. So growing up in Southern Indiana, uh, my grandmother had a home in Port Charlotte, which of course is not too far away from from the Tampa Bay area. And that was sort of the team there. So I was always kind of following from afar, but I really didn't get um, sort of heavily involved with them until I made the decision that uh, I was going to move with my parents because they also bought a home uh kind of a retirement home in cape coral southwest florida area that that was going to be the team that i kind of followed and rooted for because i grew up watching a lot of cubs games and a lot of reds games as well but i don't know if i never truly truly had a team there but um it, it really started i think like a lot of people really started to spark during the course of that 2008 season uh, I think I remember going to a spring training game actually at the the Twins spring training site in Fort Myers and they were playing the the Rays and uh, Joe Madden was in the dugout and everything and there nobody knew that they were going to be as good as they were and that sort of kicked it off from there so being able to watch Carl Crawford and BG Upton see Evan Longoria called up that was kind of the impetus of, of my Rays fandom I would say uh, if you want to call me a bandwagoner sure fine that that's okay there um, and then as I got to college, it just kind of matriculated from there was where I was able to go to games and follow the team and uh, actually interned for a couple of, of radio stations where we got to go into the clubhouse and speak with the coaches and the players and things of that sort. So kind of always has, have sort of been tied into the team to some extent over the years as well. And um, every year I try to go to, of course, not this year, but I try to go to a handful of games. I try to go to five or six. My co-host 
tries to go for triple, quadruple that, he'll, he'll try to go to maybe 15, 20, 25 home games. But I'm good with just kind of a, a half dozen and going from there and then watching as many games as I, I can on TV. So really, since 2008, I haven't stopped rooting for watching the race. Even when I moved uh, to Oklahoma and Virginia for radio gigs, uh, I still subscribe to MLB TV and, and watch the team, although I, I probably shouldn't have uh, subscribed during those years because those were kind of the rebuilding years for the Rays. But that's sort of how it started and, and, and grew up from there. Uh, and uh, talking about this year, so obviously, you know, with the season over and how everything kind of went, um, what was your expectation going into this year with, you know, with how everything was? And now that the season's over, um, they end up going to the World Series second time ever in franchise history. Um, you know, how did you feel about about how everything went with the team? Um, you, did anything surprise you at all? Did any, you know, like, like, like what did, you know, what thoughts did, did you have coming into the year and, and kind of now assessing it? Just how were how things different in the same? Yeah, it's interesting because at, before the season started, we had done some preseason predictions. And I think we pretty much said that this team can win close to 40 games. We, we knew they could win at least 36. We knew they were a slam dunk uh, playoff team. Of course, when playoffs were expanded to 16 teams, there was no excuse not to be a playoff team. But we definitely thought that, okay, you can build off this uh, this playoff appearance from 2019 and even you know with the um tipping pitches i don't want to call it a scandal but the uh the issue there with tyler glass having that resolved yes exactly and seeing this team that okay they're a year more experienced they're a year older the core is back uh we can build off all this stuff i don't know i i don't want to go as far to say as that i, I thought they would make it to game six of the world series, but I thought that they could win a lot of games in the 60 game season and they could make a deep run championship series, something along that, uh, those lines. What I did not expect was the Rays to be as good as they were and to win as many games as they did with all the pitching injuries that they had just back to back to back. I mean, at one point having, I think 11, 12 pitchers down and you had Nick Anderson was down at some point, Charlie Morton, a uh, lot of guys, a lot of key guys were down. And, and who I didn't know John Curtis would be a thing. I didn't know that Pete Fairbanks would, would take the step up that he did. We didn't know who Ryan Thompson was. So seeing those guys really take the mantle, totally shocked by that, that they were able to – Aaron Loop also was a really, really good find. And then, of course, the, the Randy Arasarena story. I thought he could be a good major leaguer, really big contributor, guy that would be a starter and, and – you know, maybe be a, a 2020 guy for the Rays at some point. I don't think anybody ever could have expected him to be this good, uh, this fast, especially with the fact that he dealt with COVID and basically stepped out of bed and started hitting major league pitching. That was remarkable to see what he was able to do. Uh, it's going to be tough to, to replicate that and, and to keep that up, but I think there's no doubt that he's going to be He's going to be a spark plug of a player for, for years to come. And I think the Cardinals are, are regretting that decision uh, every day. I, I, I'll tell you, Matt Liebertor better be a Hall of Famer, I, I would think, or he better be a multi-time All-Star because the pressure's on that guy to, to be a really elite pitcher. Uh, because th I, I think this, this trade could have the microscope of the Chris Archer Pirates deal um, a couple of years from now, if it hasn't been already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys watching the Randy Rosarina movie when it comes out? 
I'll check it out. Yeah, I'll probably. Dollars here is getting a movie. Yeah, yes. that, that's pretty cool. It's, that's huge news right now, considering you know the off season hasn't been that exciting. That's <laughs> that's huge news. I mean, huge news. I mean, all you need to do is just hit ten home runs in a postseason, and then you know, movie. There we go. What do you think? Who who should play Randy Rosarina? Because oh god, I have, and you probably can't. It's probably not in the budget. I don't think this is like a hundred fifty million dollar Hollywood production here or film. But uh, Michael B. Jordan, I think he's he's been he's played the athlete in other movies. I think mm-hmm. he's got the 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 chin line, the the athletic build. Uh, he might be couple inches taller than Randy and I'm sure you'd have to work on uh you know speaking Spanish and things like that but that that was the first one of the first names that that came to my mind uh actually a name that came to my mind which this is really unfortunate I was I was thinking um Chadwick Boseman who just recently died I I think he could reprise his role as a baseball player and you know he played Jackie Robinson before um yeah he would have been really good I just I think I have no clue honestly Like, yeah. I have no clue. I think, I mean... I think it'll be uh, some rando, probably. Yeah it'll, yeah, it'll probably be a rando who looks like him, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're, they're not going to go that hard. Um, he got I married mean, recently, nice. too. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that is that is 100% true. Yeah, Wait, congrats. who's playing Kevin Cash in the movie? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. See, these are, these are the... I don't know. These are these the biting... Yeah, these, these are the important questions of the offseason. Uh, but Kevin, before we um, or before we sign off, before we end this, uh, what are your expectations for 2021? Uh, what do you think this team is going to do from where they were this year? Do you think they're going to be as competitive? Or is is a world is another World Series appearance um, in in their sights? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, that that's a good question. I don't think we can ever go in and say, well, this team is a World Series team. They're they're definitely a lock to to make it to the World Series. Um, especially after this crazy season and what all transpired. And the fact that, let's be honest, the Rays, it wasn't luck, but there were a lot of circumstances that led that that team to making the World Series. A lot of things had to happen from moments that will go down in history forever. It was, a, it was a, a season full of historical moments when you talk about what Randy did, what Grosso did, what Brett Phillips did. Uh, the fact that the team was able to squeeze by on so many one-run games and two-run games like I just don't know how how that can be sustainable over 162 and in, in the playoff uh, in the playoffs going forward but I think this is definitely a playoff team this is definitely a playoff team that has staying power and can be deep and should compete for a pennant I think they can legitimately compete with the Yankees uh, for a pennant and that's that's really as far as I'll go I don't want to say that they're, they're going to be that a, a team like you know, I don't want to say they're, they're a dynasty yet or anything like that, like the Braves were or the, the Dodgers have become, and, and, you know, the Dodgers finally get their ring and everything. But I think this is definitely a, a team that should win 90 to 95 games next year, depending uh, on who they bring back and, and what kind of moves they make, because they, they're in a bit of a transition period, because every, every Rays team every year is going to look different and sometimes significantly different and this could be a year where the team looks significantly different we are already starting to see that too so um it's all about molding the pieces and going from there and and seeing what happens with that so i i'm willing to say expectations with the core that's around right now definitely playoff team definitely 90 to 95 wins at least and and see where the playoffs take you from there all right well kevin thanks so much for coming on we really appreciate it where can people find uh, the Locked on Rays podcast, where can people find you and Ulysses on uh, on social media and all that stuff? 
Yeah, a great question. So Locked On Rays podcast, you can just, it's on every podcasting platform. If you just want to Google it and use iTunes, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, all the, all the platforms out there, Stitcher, I think as well. Um, we're on Twitter. I'm at Kevin Weiss underscore. Uh, Ulysses, I believe, is at Zimbrano with an S. Zimbrano Ulysses. Uh, our, our Twitter page is also, or our, our podcast is also on Twitter, at Locked on Rays. And then um, if I'll just shout out our Patreon page, that is uh, Rays Unfiltered kind of a little play off the, the raise tank thing. So raise unfiltered and we kind of um, have some fun on that and, and are kind of more long winded and, and long form with our podcast there. So uh, we can be reached in a lot of ways for sure. All right. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, and, and for everyone listening, you can follow us, uh, follow, follow our podcast. We're at, at roof raise on Twitter. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, all that good stuff. Um, so from all of us and from me, stay safe, stay healthy, please wear a mask and raise up. Raise up, baby. Damn.